fiesta colombiana entre tambores va la luna solitaria fiesta de la gaita mientras el mar recuerda el día Colombia in Indonesia is created and produced by the Embassy of Colombia in Indonesia with the main goal of discussing culture, trade, traditions and related topics between both countries. Welcome to a new episode of Colombia in Indonesia. We continue our journey to the historical centers of Colombia in this third season and the topic that we're uh, talking about today it's the Department of Cordoba in Colombia and the only historic center that has been declared in this place is a town called Lorica. The name of the this town is Lorica, but the full name is Santa Cruz de Lorica. It is not and has not been an isolated spectator city. It has been a protagonist in the history of the Colombian Caribbean and has played a crucial uh, role in each of its different historical moments that this region has experienced. It's a town that with several different ethnic groups, such as Lebanese, Syrians, Jews, Arabs, Persians, Europeans, among other groups, indigenous people as well. The traditional music of this area is played with the Colombian bagpipe or a traditional Colombian flute that the indigenous people in Colombia used to use and still use for for music. And one of its most popular um, music genres is the porro, which is... uh, kind of music that was adapted from brass bands from the Spanish people who used to come to the region and, and use these bands for their music, then it was adapted to play more tropical and Caribbean rhythms. The Lorica market dates back to 1929, which is one of the most popular places uh, and one of the reasons why Lorica is one of the historical centers. We will talk more about this uh, during the whole episode. But then uh, we also have something important to mention, that the architecture in, in Lorica is particular as well because it has uh, Mudejar style. So it's uh, a, a mixing between most Arabic and Spanish architecture. And it was a very, very uh, popular port, uh, just as when we were talking on last episode about Mompox. It was also a very important port where people used to trade. So... There is something I feel it's very important that we do, and uh, uh, recently we were talking about it with Juan Jose, and we realized that we haven't given you like the full context of the history of Colombia and why uh, all these towns have uh, usually have religious uh, names either uh, or religious related to Catholicism, I guess, I mean. And also why of all of these settlements were uh, more or less founded on the same years. And it, it so happens that uh, if you... Remember your history lessons in school. Uh, America was first discovered, and I'm using air quotes here, by Spanish people in 1492. And since then, all of Latin America, including Colombia, uh, was either a colony of the Spanish crown or the Portuguese. Uh, and if you go to the north, to the British uh, kingdom. But in our case, with Spanish. Uh, the Spanish crown, the Spanish monarchy was a Catholic monarchy and they were very religious oriented and focused. And they, one of the things that they did was make everybody that they met on their way of, of conquest in Latin America turn into Catholicism and learn Spanish. So that's why since those times, uh, everything that they were naming in, in Latin America was either 
named after any of their monarchs or after a saint or anything related to religion. That's why you will find places like in this case today with uh, Santa Cruz de Lorica, which means the Saint Cross of Lorica. Same thing happens with many of the towns we're going to be talking about during the podcast. And then Colombia started its independence campaign in 1810. And it went all the way until 1820 when we finally achieved independence from the Spanish kingdom. During that time, different settlements reached independence in different times. So that also it's very important to, to have in mind some of them starting in the north of Colombia uh, got declared it, their independence prior to other uh, settlements further down in the south. So, yeah, I think with this, I think I, I we have given you a little of more context so you can understand where all these historical centers come from. And then let's get into today's topic. So, Juan Jose, what can you tell us about the history of Lorica? Hello, Nicholas. Okay, yeah, sure. The history of Lorica, it's actually kind of, uh, sim- you would think that it's similar as the Mompox uh, story, but it's not quite the same because... Um, there were both different towns with different like uses in the colony. So in 1740, Lorica fulfilled the function of exercising military, fiscal and police control, complementary to that was which impaired from the nearby cities and towns. So for a context of that time, at the time many of the colonists did not submit to the colonial hacienda system or its tax requirements. So there were a lot of colonists that lived like in their own places. And they preferred to live in sitios or palenques that were common for especially free slaves on the margins of the institutional order. And it was only at the end of the 18th century that these families regrouped in towns associated with productive agricultural and artisanal or livestock activities. So in the colony, any black slave who was called, who was a fugitive and lived a life of freedom was called Cimarron. And in the 1754, with this group of people regrouped in an island called Gaita Island, and it had the name of Santa Cruz de Gaita. And it was, it is, it was in May 3rd of 1776. But one of the uh, guys, so to say, that lived there, uh, Antonio de la Torre, convinced the inhabitants to move to the present site in 1776 because it was less prone to flooding. And this new place they went to, it was called, it was located in the Orica Island that was governed by a cacique of the same name. So the region was no longer called Santa Cruz de Gaita, but instead it became. Santa Cruz de Lorica, in honor of the cacique. Since 1824, after the War of Independence, as Juan Jose just mentioned, Lorica was the capital of the canton. Uh, in this case, canton referring to like small area, not, not like a department, but maybe like a, a settlement, a big settlement. So Lorica was the most important and dynamic place in this area uh, through the Sinuvian population, the people who were uh, located nearby the Sinu River during the whole 19th century. This, this importance was due to the strategic position that the town had through the route between Cartagena and the interior part of Colombia through uh, using both to go through the Sino River. Since 1870, several uh, transportation 
companies called Vapores, uh, Vapores Bolivar, Vapores Inu, Vapores Maria, Vapores Mercedes, or Vapores Colombia or Vapores Damasco, which were companies focused on transportation through the river using steamboat. Uh, steamboats were doing at least uh, twice a year trips through the Sinu River Delta from Cartagena to go all the way inside the center of Col the middle of Colombia, the interior of Colombia. And the, uh, that made Lorica very important and strategic because of his, its position, right? The cities in which the steamboats used to stop became towns that were very active in commerce, such the importance of the of the marketplace in Lorica, which I was mentioning on the opening of the episode that was founded in 1929. During the second uh, half of the 19th century, there was a few wars in Middle East, especially by Lebanon, Syria, and, and Palestine. And the scarcity of land and difficult trade in the persecutions of Christians and Jews generated a massive immigration to America. And that is why also we had all these uh, ethnic groups coming to to uh, America, especially in Colombia, in this area, in Lorica. So it, it was a very attractive place for them. Why, why, why was that one, Jose? Yeah, well, the reasons why Lorica was very attractive to immigrants were that, first, it uh, had a fluid communication across the river. Also, it had a lot of proximity to commercial centers. There's There was also a large landowner fortunes that ensured demand for the products that they were able to import or to market. Uh, also, there was a pleasant climate and a great reception from the local population. So there were a lot of rich uh, people around the area because most of them had plantations or had a lot of cattle. So they all went to Lorica, to the markets of Lorica, to buy imported goods. And those immigrants that came from Europe or that they came from the Middle East saw that as an opportunity to become importers of different European products. So in the 1920s, Lorica was a township whose main activities were, as I was saying, cattle ranching, also fishing and commerce. And the, the later was especially a commerce also in, in handcraft. Immigrants played an important role in the Lorica's economy. And likewise, the immigrants and the descendants have managed in four generations to incorporate aspects of their culture of origin in their new territories. So, for example, you can see a lot of different houses that some have like Arabic style to the architecture and others have more European style to the architecture. And Lorica owes much of its period of greatest prosperity that was between 1870 and 1930 due to the large Arab population that it welcomed. Lorica played a, a leading role in the industrial development of the Atlantic region and around 1910 when the Standard Oil Company arrived in Puerto Zapote in the north, it generated the creation of the soft drink tanneries and rice factories in the Lorica region. And uh, because of that and because of this boom in the 1900s, the Lorica environment or the scenery uh, included the belfry of the church and the public market, which served as a port that later succumbed to a fire in 1919. And the new market was completed in 1929, and today it is one of the city's most appreciated real estate assets. And well, after that, the difficulties began between 1935 and 1942, 
when the Sinu River deviated from its original course, and that made that the boats were harder to cross this river and get to Lorica. And in the 1950s, as a good uh, note for Lorica, it, it was decided to create the department of Córdoba. Although they, they was deciding between making Lorica the capital or Monteria, but Monteria ended up being the capital due to its industrial development. And for going more deep into the places and architecture, I think uh, Nicolas knows more about it. Yeah, sure. Um, what's important for you to understand at this point is that Lorica is a small town. It's not very big, but compared to other places we have talked before in the in this season of the podcast, it's a very interesting place because even though it's a very small place, it's full of, of culture because of the mix of all different kinds of people from different parts of the world and because it was also a very important port through the Sino River. So you have an explosion of culture and multiculturality in this in this area and especially with the uh, Arabic style uh, or Arabic influences in the architecture. So you can see things like the Cathedral of Santa Cruz de Lorica, which is the, uh, the main church that you will find in any town in Colombia. Um, but you can also find later on places like the Afife Matuk building, which is a building that has clear um, Arabic influences in its, in its architecture and The, it has uh, light blue and white colors that's, that stand out in the walls of this uh, city with different arabesque figures in the living room with its bay windows overlooking the calm waters of the river. You have then the things like the mural of Wall of Santa Cruz de Lorica, which is a, a, a mosaic wall painting which shows portraits the, the, the history of the city. Also the Gonzalez building, which was built in 1929, same year as the year that the market was finished, the new market was finished. It was built under the Republican style of which the facade and its internal spaces stand out, representing the buildings of the time. You can visit the Malecón de Santa Cruz de Lorica, which is perfect for walking along the river, the Sino River. You can go to the Lorica mar public market, which we have mentioned already a few times during the episode. And of course, during your, your visit to Lorica, you can walk around and you will find several wooden houses within the historic center of the city, which corresponds to the boom after the construction of the Panama Canal. This boom flooded the country with American-made prefabricated wooden houses. So that's why you can find that. Then let's move on to culture. What can people go do when they go to Lorica? Yeah, so as you said before, Lorica is quite the cultural city. And uh, well, first of all, see it especially like in the market as well as other different places of course but in the market it is possible to see stalls with products from all over the region artisans and merchants that decorate them with utensils made of clay bulrush reed arrow cane thread and leather in addition to that the there's also restaurants that serve fried stew cabrito or viura bocachico sinuano Boca Chico being a famous uh, river fish from that area. And in the market, you can also buy the handicrafts from the region. Like I'm going to tell you a little bit about this. There's first the artesanies built with the caña flecha de Tuchin, that with the fiber of the caña flecha, 
Kanye being sugar cane. The artisans make various wavings with different shapes. And one of the most famous is the sombrero volteado that is one of the Colombia's symbols, so to speak. Uh, also there are clay crafts that the artisans mold clay by hand, shaping pots, jars, mucuras, vases, piggy banks, hens, and objects that are then heated in wood fire ovens. There's also primitivist paintings that are paintings made by the artist Marcial Alegria Cáceres and his paintings are already distributed in more than 18 countries. There's also weaving with palm weaving that the artisans of San Nicolas de Bari use it to weave bags, hats, wallets, vases, rafts, fishermen, picture frames and even dresses. And there's also the Avaracas Tres Punta that it's a typical kind of sandals very used by the peasants of the area and have become a famous in several songs of the Caribbean folklore. And talking about Caribbean folklore, let's move to the festivities of the Lorica. Yeah, so if, if you plan to visit Lorica, you can try and time your visit with any of these festivities, which are the most important that they celebrate in the town. First one is the Festival de la Yuca or Tapioca's Festival. It's held in the Manantial, which uh, in where they will um, offer several or different derivatives of this product. You can also go to the Sinu Cultural Festival that seeks to highlight the values of the population and show the economic customs and cultural heritage of the municipality. As we mentioned before, Glorica is a very multicultural and culturally rich town. You can go to the festivities of the foundation that are held on May 3rd. On the same date of the festivities of the Holy Cross are celebrated. Then you can go to the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which is... Uh, celebrated during December, or you can also go to the Ecological Festival of the Caranchina Turtle, uh, which is about the conservation of this critically endangered species that you can find in the area as well. And with that, I think we finished this episode. We hope that we could pique your interest in Lorica, one more of the cultural heritage centers in Colombia, in the north of Colombia. And please stay tuned to, to learn more about uh, the historic centers of the country. Yeah, thank you very much. Goodbye. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us in Facebook and Twitter at MCOL Indonesia. That is E-M-B-C-O-L-I-N-D-O-N-E-S-I-A. And on Instagram at MCO Indonesia. E-M-B-C-O-I-N-D-O-N-E-S-I-A. To stay in touch with us. Please share this episode and we wait to hear from you in a brand new episode of Colombia in Indonesia. Muchas gracias. Terima kasih. Colombia in Indonesia is produced by the Embassy of Colombia in Indonesia, directed and hosted by the cultural attaché Nicolás Montoya, with co-hosting and writing by Juan José Torres. Music by Sebastián Valdivieso.